morning we uh, witnessed the baptism of Bradley James Hood II. And uh, we want to review the biblical foundation of infant baptism and demonstrate, hopefully, that it's proper for us to practice this. First, I want us to consider that God instituted the inclusion of our children in the covenant. Um, And that's important because uh, what you find when you discuss this issue with people is that they will always come to the New Testament and say, well, there's no New Testament example of the baptism of an infant. And um, while that's true that it's not specifically stated, it's uh, not true that it's um, impossible or not probable that infants weren't baptized because households were baptized and households include included children that's what's that's what's bound up in the term household it includes everybody even the slaves i can't explain all of that but it was true of circumcision as well so i want you to see that the that god instituted the inclusion of our children in the covenant second i want you to consider that god takes the covenant relationship seriously um so often we don't take uh, the sacrament seriously. Not, uh, we don't take baptism seriously. Um, and, but we've got to understand that God does. Third, I want you uh, to consider that God declares the unity of the Testaments when he inspires the Apostle Paul to correlate circumcision and baptism. And so let's look at those three uh, points very briefly. First of all, God includes infants in uh, in His covenant. We read Genesis 17, and uh, is that God came to him? He's he's an old man. By the time God comes to him now, he's 99 years old, and um, and God He's already established the covenant with with Abraham and back in chapter 15. So now he's coming to him again, and he's saying, okay, this is my covenant with you. It's a covenant of circumcision. It's a covenant, uh, it's a covenant seal is what it is. And um, he comes to Abraham, and he says, uh, baptize all your male, uh, everybody. You know, he was to baptize everyone. They were to circumcise all the males eight days and older. Eight days. They were infants. Do you think those infants knew what? Well, I think they knew what was happening to them, but they didn't understand it. Do you think they put all the pieces together and said, oh, uh, this means uh, my profession of faith? No, they didn't, have, they didn't have knowledge of that kind of stuff. Um, but yet that's what baptism signified and sealed. And uh, what we need to understand is that God instituted this and he includes infant babies. And he says, and he's very serious about this, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people because he has broken my covenant. See, this, is, this is what happened when the people crossed the Jordan River. Uh, that's when they, they had to be circumcised again. Why? Because they were actually in violation of God's covenant uh, with them. They were violating the covenant. God said, you can't go into the promised land without this, without this seal uh, attached to you. And so God took that uh, seal and he said, it's really important. And that leads then to the second idea that I wanted you to think about. And that, and that is that God takes covenant inclusion of infants seriously. Um, if you'll turn over to Exodus chapter 4. Um, there's a passage there that 
people sometimes we don't get. And uh, I'm not going to claim to you that I understand it all, but I want you to see the importance of, uh, of circumcision. Now, in Exodus chapter 4, you'll recall that God had called uh, Moses to uh, go and uh, talk to the people of Israel, bring them back uh, to the promised land. And um, Moses, of course, argued, you know, um, God, I'm not the guy to go. You know, I'm, I... You know, I, I don't know. God gives him these signs in chapter 4. He gives him, uh, um, they're not going to believe me, Moses said, and uh, they're not going to believe that you appeared to me. And so the Lord says, well, what's in your hand? And he gives him a staff. He throws it on the ground. It becomes a snake. He picks it up. It goes back to a staff. And, uh, and that's so that the people might believe. And the Lord said again, now put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand in his cloak, and they became leprous. And said, now put it back. And he put it back. And so the hand was clean then. And God said, well, um, you know, if they don't believe the first sign, uh, they'll believe the second. But then Moses, verse 10, says, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on, God. I'm, I'm not your man. I'm not eloquent in speech. Um, not in the past or in the present. You know, I'm not, I'm just not, I'm not that way. I, I can't speak. I, my tongue I, gets tied. I'm like a young preacher who stands in the pulpit and tries to preach his first sermon and can't think of what he was supposed to say. And then he realizes that even old people stand up at the pulpit and forget what they're supposed to say. Maybe more often, you know, that older people do. But um, he's not eloquent. You know, God doesn't need his eloquence. God doesn't need his abilities. God says, you're, you're my man. Go. Now, if you're worried about what you're going to say and how you're going to say it, your brother Aaron, I know that he's... I know that he's, he's a good speaker. So we'll send him. And what you do, Moses, you listen to me, and I'll tell you, and then you relay it to Aaron, and he'll tell the people. He said, and you will be as God to Aaron, and Aaron will be your prophet. That's where the idea, that's where the definition of a prophet comes from. He's a mouthpiece of God. He speaks for God. And so... What we see here is another picture. You've got God speaking and Moses mediating. So you get the image of God speaking through a mediator declaring his word. And that idea of mediation rolls throughout the scripture until we come to Christ. And he's the greater mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So, you know, uh, Moses says, well, I guess, okay. <laughs> you win, I'll go. So he goes, and they're on their way, and that's what I want you to see. Moses returns to Egypt, and this is from verse 18 and following. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to tell you the story. But So they go, um, and uh, he asked his father-in-law if it's okay, and his father-in-law says, yeah, go you know, help your brothers in Egypt. And so Moses leaves, and um, he's going to go, and he's going to do all these, these miracles, and Aaron's going to be with him. And Verse 24. At a lodging place, on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. You just got done sending him, and now you're going to seek to put him to death? Why are you going to do that? And so Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet and with it, with it and said, 
Um, he's a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now, I think if you trace that bridegroom of blood through the scripture, you'll find it's, it's a kind of an interesting concept, but it really leads us to Christ. But that's not my point. Moses didn't circumcise his sons, and he was in violation of the covenant. Now, I don't understand, and I'm not going to pretend to understand, why God put us what's in this order. Moses, go. I don't want to go. Moses, go. I don't want to go. Moses, go. I don't want to go. You're going. And that's it. And Moses goes, and now he's going to put him to death because he's violated the covenant. You know, if I were going to put it together, (laughs) I would put the violation of the covenant first. But that's not how the story unfolds. The story unfolds by Moses getting put into, backed into a corner and uh, having to go uh, to Egypt. And then God seeks to put him to death then because he did not circumcise his sons. God takes the covenant sign seriously. And so often, in especially today's world, covenant sign of baptism is not taken seriously, whether they're a believer Baptist like or Baptists are, or they're, inf- they're paedo-Baptists like we are. We don't take the teaching of baptism seriously. This, the sign and seal of God's saving grace is just treated as though it was just, you know, something that I get to do. It's fun. There are people, well, I'm going to tell you, uh, we were in, when I was in Israel, I told you this before, but I'm going to tell you again, because it's funny. To me, it is. Um, when, I, when I was in Israel, we went by this place in the Jordan River, and there's a whole crowd of people up there. And I, I said to Thomas, I said, well, what are all those people doing up there? He said, oh, that's a certain church. I'm not going to say which one. There was this church. They got a pastor there, and he baptizes people in the Jordan. People who go to Israel sometimes have been baptized 30 and 40 times because they want to be baptized in the Jordan River. It's like that's where Jesus was baptized. And they walk along the Sea of Galilee, and they think that they walk where Jesus walked. They go, no, you didn't. You were by the Sea of Galilee, but you weren't walking. Those footsteps aren't there anymore. The path isn't even there because the lake's gone down, so the path is moved. You know, so why be baptized all that many times? Don't you understand that it's not something that just makes you feel good? It's not something that just says, oh, I was, oh, I was baptized in the Jordan River. Are you Maholi? What? I don't understand why people do this. I was in a church one time, the deacon. He had been a deacon for 20 years, and he went forward at an altar call. You know, I don't know if the fifth or sixth verse. Anyway, he went forward, and... Um, the pastor said, oh, you know, Deacon Jones, whatever his name was, he came forward. He's been a deacon 20 years, and he said, I've never been saved. But today I've been saved. And so they baptized him again. And I, thought, I said, well, wait a minute. Why would you baptize him again? Well, they will because they're saying that the man defines what the baptism signifies. The man is the man is saying, I made a decision. It's my profession of faith. Baptism secures or seals my profession of faith. No, it doesn't. Baptism is a sign and seal of God's grace. It's a sign and seal of the righteousness God gives by faith. But it's something that God does. The infant child had no concept of what circumcision was. But as he grew, and this is why... Jews take it more seriously than we do. As he grew, the child was, was just was um, schooled. We could say he was catechized 
and what it meant to be circumcised. Their community was held together and they taught their children. If you ever listen to a rabbi teach, one of the things they come, they, they speak a lot about are the, uh, uh, is, is their children and that their children are more important to them than job, than their job. Their children are more important to them than them going making more money someplace else. Their children are more important to them. I listened to a rabbi one day. I can't remember his name. I love listening to rabbis as they go through the they go through the Old Testament and uh, and he was preaching. And that was as he was preaching, that was one of the points he came down on. Your children, he said, don't. You got a be- you get a better job in another city. Don't take it just for the money. He said, think about what am I going to do with my children? Where are they going to be? Where are they going to be schooled? Where are they going? What synagogue are we going to be in? We need to be- we need to take care of them. We need to make sure that they grow up in the faith. We they are our responsibility. Wow, I thought, how many of us need to learn that? How many people will go take a job? in any place, and never give one thought about the spiritual condition of their family. They'll just leave. They don't take any of this seriously. And we need to take it. And I'm not telling you you can't move, so don't. Please don't think that. I don't mean that. I just mean if you're going to take care of those for whom you're responsible, think about what you're doing before you leave. Make sure there's a church there for you to be there. Make sure that it's the kind of church you want to be in. Make sure that you could have your children there all the time so that they can grow up in the community of God's people and teach them at home. That's your, it's our responsibility to teach them at home. Wow. God takes the sign of circumcision seriously because circumcision didn't just talk about what the people did. In, uh, in Deuteronomy 10, God tells the people, uh, i got to find it. Deuteronomy 10, 16. Circumcision of the flesh. Women didn't get circumcised in the flesh. Jews have never practiced circumcision of women. Um, uh, that's, an, that's a trait of Islam. And not even all Muslims circumcised women, so don't, don't attribute that to all Muslims. But God said to Moses, he said to the people, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. What did circumcision represent to those people? The removal of the sinful flesh. And they were to circumcise their heart and remove the sinful flesh that made them stubborn. Now, the reality is the law could never do that. The law could never accomplish that task. So God, after he tells them they're going to go into captivity and all these things are going to happen to them and they're going to experience the curses of the law at the end of Deuteronomy in chapter 30 and verse, um, uh, chapter 30 and verse 6, uh, the Lord says this. Well, it's, um, if you, uh, just to give you the context in, verse, in chapter 30, Verse 1, and when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse, 
which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you return to the Lord your God and your children and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes uh, <clears throat> restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has, secu- has scattered you. But drop down now to verse 16. Um, <clears throat> See, I have set before you today life and, health and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, Uh, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land uh, to take possession of it. And I missed the verse. (laughs) Um, But God is the one who is going to circumcise their hearts. And I'm sorry, but I missed uh, the verse. Six. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And the Lord your God... will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. And why will he do that? What's the purpose? The very next phrase, the very next clause. So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all and that you may live. So he calls them to circumcise their hearts. He calls them to repentance. But then he says to them, I'm going to circumcise your heart, and the reason I'm going to do it, or the purpose, or the result I have in view, is that you may love the Lord your God. So the sign of circumcision was never just removing some flesh. It was always removing the sinful flesh. And so that's why I believe that God correlates circumcision with... um, Baptism, and you see that in Colossians chapter, chapter two, specifically verse eleven. You see it. Colossians chapter two. Now I want you to notice the structure. This is uh, God is now correlating circumcision with. With baptism, so we looked first of all at, that God includes infants in His covenant, eight days and older. Uh, that secondly, God takes the covenant of uh, inclusion of infants; He takes it seriously. We see that with Moses because it represents the removal of the body of flesh, sinful flesh. Third, God correlates circumcision and baptism in Colossians chapter two. Now, I want you to notice in Colossians chapter two that Paul um, begins uh, by warning their people um, to not be deluded. Verse 4, I I say this, that is, I um, I want you to walk in Christ and be encouraged by him and be knit in love together. Uh, because the full uh, assurance of everything, every mystery is hidden in Christ. And everything is hidden in him. True, true wisdom, treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So they're having a problem with people who have knowledge in Colossae. And he says, um, so that's where he begins. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Now, if you drop down 
to verse 16, you have him repeating that same kind of warning. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or to a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on these things. So he begins with a warning. He ends with a warning. And right in the middle of that, he talks about receiving Christ. Verse 6, just as you receive Christ the Lord, walk in him, rooted and grounded in love. Verse 8, see that no one takes you uh, captive of vain philosophy according to traditions of men. For in him is all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. The fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. Isn't that that amazing to you? I mean, it is. What does God look like? He looked like Jesus. Who do you think we're going to see in heaven? Do you think that we will ever see the the Holy Trinity? I don't believe that we will. The only way we will worship God is we will worship him in the perfect, glorified humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ will always mediate mediate God to us. He mediated the creation because in the beginning God spoke. He said, let there be light. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You see, the whole scripture connects together and points us to Jesus Christ. In him is all the fullness, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. And then Paul says, um, and in him, Verse 11, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So, Paul can say to the Philippians, we are the true circumcision. Why? Because we've been baptized in Christ. We've been united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And what, what did, by the way, what did that signify? Well, that signified the putting off of the body of flesh. It was just what circumcision pointed to. Circumcision points to the putting off of the body of flesh. Christ being crucified puts off the body of flesh. He's buried. Baptism signifies all of this. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, you should be thinking about your baptism. You should be thinking that you are united to Christ. You should be teaching your children that they are united to Christ through baptism. And the Lord's Supper is is a sign and seal of the same reality, the same gospel. And it belongs to our children. They have a right to being baptized. But not only that, God wants them baptized. He wants them identified with, with the covenant because they belong to him. Now you say, oh, well, wait a minute. I know a lot of children. John, you have children. They were baptized when they were babies. And where are they now? They're gone. Well, I, I didn't say the baptism was magic. I didn't say that the sacrament uh, did something to the child. What happens to the child is if, they, if they're brought up and reminded and taught and on a regular basis, you've been baptized. You're identified with Jesus. You're not just identified with Christ. You are actually identified with the triune God. Jesus said, go into all the, na- all the world and, and preach the gospel. 
make disciples, I mean, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. So when our children are baptized, they're baptized, they're identified with the triune God. God wants that. And so we're going to, we're going to walk in the light as he is in the light, and we're going to baptize little Bradley this morning. And um, it's, a, it's a joy to do it, and it's a challenge to each of us. Because there's an exhortation that comes to all of us. Okay? To the congregation, I say this, as solemn vows are about to be made before you and baptism is now to be administered, you who are baptized will do well to take this occasion to reflect on your own baptism. Christ has put his name and claim on you. He calls you to be repentant for your sins against your covenant God, to confess your faith before men, and to live in newness of life to God who sealed his covenant with you by the blood of his own son. So dwell on your own baptism this morning. Think about it. Christ has made you his own. So walk with him. Be his disciple. That means follow him through the thick and through the thin. So I'm going to ask Micah now and, and, um, and Lisa and the children, if you want to come up and stand with your parents, that's fine. Um, there's enough room, I think. Um, I made a lot of hot, so it should be about right. I'm going to have you hold them all day. And here's the towel. All right, I got I got some questions for for the parents. Uh, all right, are you there? Okay. Do you acknowledge that although our children are sinful from the time of conception and therefore are subject to condemnation, they are holy in Christ and as children of the covenant are to be baptized? Do you promise to teach diligently to Bradley James Hood II? I'll get it. The principles of our holy Christian faith revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments and summarized in in the Confession of Faith and Catechisms of this church? Do you promise to pray regularly with and for Bradley and to set an example of piety and godliness before him? Do you promise before God and these witnesses to endeavor by all means of God's appointment to bring Bradley up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, encouraging him uh, to uh, appropriate for himself the blessings and obligations of the covenant? Yes. Okay. Now. Bradley James, Bradley James Hood II. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and what will be
In the name of the Holy Spirit. Oh, God bless you, little buddy. He's so uh, We present to you um, Bradley James Hood II. May God bless him. Amen. Amen. And may he bless us with him. Yes. Amen. Okay. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, what a, uh, what a, it's a privilege that you give us children. And uh, it's, it's a pain, it hurts deeply when they don't walk with you. And yet, it's a privilege and a joy to present them to you as you have, as you have instructed us. They are your children. You are their God. That's the promise of the covenant. And we hold on to that even when they, even when our children stray away. We hold on to the truth that you have promised to be our God and the God of our children. We don't know how that will work out. And so as we baptized uh, Radley, our God, we pray that he would not know one single moment of his life from here on that he did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the greatest testimony that I have ever heard a person give. I've never known a day that I didn't believe in Christ. That's our prayer for this little guy. And we pray for Lisa and Micah as they they bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we pray for the children, for for Tim and for Emma and for Mercy. Uh, They're great siblings. And we pray that they will encourage him as he grows as well. We already know that he's a joy to them as we see it. And may that joy just continue to grow. And may they grow together in the Lord. And may they live as, as people who give praise unto God by the way they live and their, their speech and their actions and in the honoring of their parents. God, we commit uh, Bradley to you and we commit the whole family to you uh, to the praise of your glory. In Christ's name. Amen. 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 Okay, Amen. you may be seated. Now uh, I got to uh, talk to the congregation. Um, it is a pro. Uh, let's see. As uh, Bradley was baptized into Christ and becomes a member of his visible church, the whole congregation is obligated to love him and receive him as a member of the body of Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, and therefore are members of one another. Christ claims this little child as his own and calls you to receive him in love and commitment. Therefore, you ought to commit yourself before the Lord to assist him and his parents in his Christian nurture by godly, by godly example and encouragement. And our most precious faith. That's what you are called to do. Beloved in Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God for this child. That he has given to the hoods. And we ask uh, for your expressed desire for him to know the Lord. And to follow him all his days. May God grant that that be so. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O God, maker and ruler of all things. Your voice thundered over the waters at creation. You water the mountains and seed springs into the valleys of, to refresh and satisfy us 
and all living things. Through the waters of the flood, you carried those in the ark of, to safety. Through the sea, you led your people Israel from safety, from slavery to freedom. In the wilderness, you nourished them with water from the rock, and you brought them across the Jordan River to the promised land. By the baptism of his death and resurrection, your son Jesus has carried us to safety and freedom. The flood shall not overwhelm us. The deep shall not swallow us up. For Christ has brought us over the land of promise. He sends us to make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Wash away sin through the cross of Christ. Clothe the baptized with Christ and claim your daughters and sons, no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, no longer male or female, but one with all the baptized in Christ Jesus who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, and the people of God say, Amen. Amen. He's a cutie. <laughs>